back there, he'll show you where to go. <laughs> what I was going to say to them before they started elbowing each other and, and getting beyond my ability to know what to do with children. Um, when I was a kid, I, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit, but you know, times change and places change. When I was a kid, the song that we sang, just this last chorus, holy, 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 that was like, that was like stomp your feet, clap your hands music, you know, when I was a kid. And, and in the church that I grew up in, um, and probably if any of you grew up at media, you know, you would have had a piano to go along with that, and that was about it. Um, at our church growing up, um, in the Brethren Church, we had a piano and an organ, and so they worked together. But um, it was hymns all the time, and that was fine. That's great, and there's still churches that are doing that, and that's some people's preference, and that's wonderful. But it just strikes me once in a while, and maybe it hits you too if you've been around for a while. It just strikes me that from time to time, the, the things that change about how we live our lives just become more obvious and apparent. And those are the times, frankly, that I'm reminded of the greatness of God who does not change. And God looks down on all of it and says, praise me with all that you've got, with all of your heart and with all of your mind. And, and there's all kinds of ways to do that with all kinds of songs and all kinds of instruments. I'm glad that we can do that. And I'm glad that things change, but I'm glad that our God doesn't change. And so um, today, what I'd like to talk with you about, we will be reading the first chapter of Job, which is perhaps one of the most challenging passages to preach through, and that's why I'm just going to scrape the surface of it with you today. We might come back to it in the near future, but I, I just want to scrape the surface because even the surface is worth scraping. But first, first, because there are a lot of you in this room right now who have not been in this room for very long. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about what it is that we're doing here. I mean, literally, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Because some of you in this room have been around for a long time, right? But a lot of you here in this place are still figuring things out. And I'd like to shed a little bit of light on why we do what we do here at Waterway Church. Now, on my very first day as the pastor of this church, we were called Media Mennonite Church, and we met at the intersection of Fifth Street and Media Road about a mile that way. The very first day that I served as a pastor of this church was August 1st, 2003. That was a Friday. And I remember that that was a Friday because the first Sunday that I was here as pastor, I didn't have to preach. My first Sunday was August 3rd, which was Youth Sunday that year. It had already been set up by, by people long before I had arrived. But on that first Sunday, August 3rd, 2003, we met at Nottingham Park. There used to be a stage there. Some of you may remember that as you curl around back. Now, it's been a long time that they tore down that stage. I'm talking about the old stage. You go in and you turn back to the right and at the back old pavilion by the sinkhole. <laughs> that was before there was even a sinkhole. But our youth led most of the service that day. Now, all of those youth now are in their mid-30s. In fact, I spoke to one of the young men who was on the stage that day. This morning, walking in, he told me that he's 40. And the main thing I remember is that there was some inside joke among the youth group that fish was brain food. And they must have said that five times, and I had no idea what it meant. But it was fun. It was a fun day, and it was a neat way to get engaged with the church on that very first Sunday as a 26-year-old kid, married for a year, thinking I knew everything, looking back, realizing I knew very little. Back then, Media Mennonite Church was smaller. Most of the people knew each other, and it was possible to all know each other in those days. The way that we dressed was more formal, but decision-making and church dynamics were a lot more casual. Within the first three few years that I was there, we identified some of our core strengths 
that were our Sunday morning services, children's ministry, and our small group program. So we've invested heavily in those things over the years. Now here we are, Waterway Church on Waterway Road. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're basically still doing the same things, but there are three times as many of us here and ten times the finances and property to manage. It is amazing how the privilege of helping to pastor this church works itself out, but there are some challenges. Structures and systems have become more complex. A lot of you who are helping with things know that. We can't all know each other anymore. How many of you can honestly say that you know the names of every person in the room right now? I don't think I do. There are a few of you who still elude me. That first Sunday when the youth were on the stage at Nottingham Park, maybe not everybody in the church knew the name of every one of those youth kids, but they knew who they belonged. Oh, that's the King boy. That's the Brooks boy. That's how it was. Now, we've got a great diversity of backgrounds and experiences, which means that we bring with us a broad range of experiences, expectations, and assumptions about how church works. There are some great blessings in that, but sometimes it makes us pull our hair out, and I can tell because some of you who had hair when I started no longer do. <laughs> I still have all of mine. It's just that it's turning gray. So what we have to do as a church is to work hard and pray hard to get and stay on the same page because the way that we do things does change. But what we're doing should not change. 20 years ago, and in fact, 80 years ago, when this church was planted here in Oxford, it was planted so that people would learn about Jesus and find saving faith in him and then grow as disciples to live a life reflecting the glory of God. That was the goal in 1947. That was the goal in 2003 that was handed down to me, and that's the goal that I place before you now. Over the last two days, I got to have an interesting experience, and this is the kind of thing that gets to happen for those of us who are pastors. Friday night, I got to take supper to Chad and Natalie Pfeiffer. And I don't know if Chad and Natalie are here today. They may not be, because Chad and Natalie welcomed their first child, Elsie, into the world just about two weeks ago on August 10th. So I got to take supper to them on Friday night and, and go in and visit for just a minute. And Natalie said, well, Elsie's sleeping, but do you want to see her? I said, yeah. And I walked in, and I don't know if this happens to you, but every time I see a newborn, I'm impressed again at just how small and tiny they are. And here was this perfect little girl laying in her crib, a whole bunch of black hair, all wrapped up and swaddled the way... I guess babies are supposed to be. I don't know how that stuff works anymore. And so little. I mean, so little. She's, Natalie said she's been eating well, and, and she's growing well, and she's back above her birth weight now. But when she was born, she was just a little over five pounds. And so here was six or seven pounds of human sleeping in this bed. And we prayed together and cried a little bit. Oh, it was neat. It was really neat. I can't tell you how much of a blessing it is to be able to do what I do to be able to interact in your lives in all of those stages. But I experienced a different stage yesterday. I was a funeral at Willow Valley for a man who was a neighbor of mine when I grew up as a kid in Mechanic Grove. His name was Jack, and Jack was born on June 18, 1929, just months before the stock market crash that kicked off the Great Depression here in our country and then around the world. Jack was 94 years old when he passed away. And it hit me that at 46, I'm just about 
right between Elsie and Jack. I'm closer to Elsie's age than I am to Jack's, but just barely. And honestly, as I looked at them both lay there, I don't know which one I resemble more. The old man in the casket or the baby in the crib. Things like that make me wonder about what my life will be. I remember what it has been, but what's it going to be? Do you think about those things? I don't know, maybe I'm in just that midlife kind of zone that makes people freak out and buy expensive cars. I'd like to do that, haven't done that yet, haven't hit bottom. In fact, when I buy that expensive car, I will not have hit bottom yet because when I bring it home, it will go even lower. But as a pastor, and, and I enjoy watching things and observing things, there's a lot of stuff I'm missing, a lot of things that escape my notice, and I'm realizing today there may be more than I realized. But I wonder sometimes where this church is in its life cycle. Do you ever think about that? Will we keep growing? Or will that ever stop or pause? Will some strange event happen that stops the whole thing and the room empties out? I don't know. Do you know? I'm not planning on going anywhere, but things happen, don't they? But for today, we're here, and you and I are called to be the church. So we keep investing in our strengths, Sunday morning worship services, teaching our children, and connecting in small groups. A couple notable things on all those, just so we're all caught up, and then we'll get to Jonah. <laughs> no, not even Jonah, Job. 46 now, closer to the grave than birth. I'm going to start forgetting things. Melanie likes it when I talk that way. Next week is Step Up Sunday. Every week, church, and I want to talk to all of you in the room right now. Every week we have Sunday school for all ages, from 9.30 until 10.20. And Sunday school may sound like an old-fashioned thing. It may sound like a thing for, for little kids, but it's not. It's an opportunity for all of us to learn about God, to dig into our Bibles, the kids here in Sunday school are arranged by age, approximately one or two grades per class. And next week, they'll step up to their new grade. That's because it's September. Now, adults, you attend by your interest or, or what you'd like to study for a while. Starting next week, in this room, we'll have our, our large Sunday school class continuing. They'll study Colossians. There'll be a smaller discussion group studying the characters of the Bible. That class will continue, and, and there's a pamphlet on the, uh, on the table in the lobby. It, is it in the bulletin this week, Lana? We even put it in the bulletin this week. And you can see the room number there. And then there's another small discussion group discussing deep theological questions that we won't solve, but maybe we can argue for a while and have fun with it. That'll start next week. There's more information at the connection table in the lobby. But that's, that's the kind of thing that we do every week to try to learn a little bit more. Our minds are not the whole thing. We cannot, we cannot idolize our minds because there are things that we can't figure out. Our God is that great and that amazing. But we do want to develop our minds. We're, we're told to be changed by the renewing of our minds as we pray to God and contemplate his word. Now, a lot of you in the room are connected in small groups. And my mom told me yesterday she loves it when I fiddle with my glasses. This is for you, mom. A lot of you are connected in small groups, but we're putting a big push on again in September to get as many of you connected as possible. And, and I'm using the word connection here a lot on purpose because one of the challenges, again, of this room is that you can't know everybody, but you should know some. 
And small groups is where you connect. It's where we care for each other, pray for each other, where we learn together. We've got a dozen groups that are already functioning. Small groups are just three or four or five families or couples that meet in different people's homes throughout the week. But our goal is not to make those groups bigger. We want to create a handful of new groups to get us all connected. And then we've got other fun things happening, right? We've got a fellowship meal today. As Anthony said, there's a tailgate party on September 10th. On September 17th, we're going to have baptisms for a couple people that couldn't be baptized earlier in the summer. So that's three weeks from today. And then we've got Tom Coverley coming on September 30th. Fun stuff. But we have small groups because you need to go where everybody knows your name. And that's what small groups are all about. Yeah, the old people in the room got that one. We're not going to twist your arm, but I hope you'll sign up to be placed in a small group. If it doesn't work out for you, if you don't like those people at all, well, that's a chance for you to practice your patience. <laughs> but we'll be building new groups again in a few months, so hang in there, work on your connections. Again, there's more information where? At the connection table in the lobby. Another helpful tool I want to remind you about is our Waterway Church app. You'll see some of these cards out in our lobby today. It's, we've had it for a little bit little bit of time, but I know some of you have, have struggled to get it on your phones or whatever. We're kind of putting a new push on that because here, through the app, and it's simple to use once you get it set up, ask your grandchildren. See there, somebody's using it already. <laughs> you can find sermon archives, upcoming events, a calendar. You can do mobile giving on there. And for those of you who sign up through our church office or through Alexio, there's a directory. We keep that a little bit more private than some of the other stuff because it's got your phone numbers and your email addresses. A lot of this information is also on our church website. It's referenced in our newsletters and it's featured on our announcement slides. We're just trying to spread the word as well as we can because as the crowd gets bigger, it gets harder and harder to stay connected. Guess where you can get more information about the church app? At the connection table. And then just the last little commercial for you. We've got a business meeting coming up on Wednesday night. Sunday mornings, we try hard to really be worshiping and diving into the scripture. That's why I don't often take five or 10 minutes to quite talk like this. But every quarter, at least every quarter, whenever there's a fifth Wednesday in a month, we have a business meeting here at Waterway. This week on Wednesday night, we'll have child care for those who need it. And at this business meeting, this is where we do the business of the church. We have lots of teams and committees of gifted and skilled people who are working behind the scenes. But these meetings are where we pull all that stuff together and make decisions together about some of the bigger stuff. I wanted to let you know that because it's so hard to talk to all of you. It's so hard to be able to talk about these things together. So I think sometimes we just need to remember, what are we doing here? Well, we want to see everybody we know become more like Jesus. So that means that we pay attention to our worship services. We pay attention to our learning. We pay attention to our children. And we try to stay connected because we don't want to just see some of us become more like Jesus. We want to see everybody we know become more like Jesus. And to do that, we've got to be rubbing shoulders, working together, and praying together. That's what I'm excited about, and I appreciate the time that you've given me to talk about that here this morning, not that I asked. Now, before I start talking about Job, I want you to turn to the person beside you and tell them one thing that you know about the Job of the Bible. And if you don't know anything, you can just tell your neighbor that his name was Job. But go ahead, just take a minute. What do you know about Job, either the person or the book or the story or whatever? Go ahead. If there's nobody beside you, talk to the person behind you.
Well, this can be a pretty quick sermon. You guys know a lot. That's good stuff. And if any of you need your Bibles, I may have it. If this is your Bible and and you want to read it today while we go through Job, it's here in the front row. Destiny is very kind. She will not be mean to you when you come pick it up. But open your Bible to the book of Job. Uh, It's it's in the Old Testament. If you open your Bible right to the middle, it's just before that. Uh, But the book of Job is is one of these books. It's in the Old Testament, written several thousand years ago. And um, and it's a narrative. It's, It's a story about how one man really saw his entire life change and how he responded to that. So I'm going to read for you, and it's a little bit of a long section, but I'm going to read for you the first chapter of Job. And this is verses 1 through 22, okay? It's on the screen behind me. You can follow along if you like, but here it is. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they're dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. There is a lot in this chapter that doesn't make very much sense to me. 
This story is one of those that drives Christians crazy, and it gives ammunition to those who are not Christians to say, really, you believe in a God like that? As I said, we're only going to scratch the surface. I hope you'll go home this week and read the rest of the book of Job. It is fascinating to see what else happens to Job and how does his wife respond to it? How do three of his closest friends respond to it? How does Job respond to them? And then at the end of the book of Job, God speaks and all is wrapped up, but still, still, we have these questions, really? Here is, here is Job. He is presented in the very first few chapters. Here's Job. The man was blameless and upright, feared God and shunned evil. And then even the way he is described is kind of the picture of this perfect situation. Seven sons and three daughters, both special numbers if you were to dig into that kind of stuff in the way that the Hebrews thought about things. And he owns 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, seven and three, and they add up to 10 and it's complete. And there's 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys and it's 10 and it's complete. And there's all that number stuff that, especially to a Hebrew of 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, these numbers would have meant Job was completely complete. He was as blessed as could be. And in fact, as it says here in the end of verse three, Job was the greatest man among the people of the East doesn't appear that Job is an Israelite. He, he doesn't live in a, in a specifically and traditionally Israelite area, but Job was known, and here his story is told. Job, in fact, was so righteous that his sons and daughters would have feasts together, and, and before you get too concerned about that feasting, I want you to remember here that the sons are inviting their sisters to come and feast with them. These are not like lewd, out all night kind of parties that, that were just bastions of sin. This is brothers and sisters getting together saying, it's my birthday, come and feast with me. And Job, as a wealthy man, had children who were also wealthy and, and they feasted well. But Job would wake up in the morning and say, I know how kids can be. Some of you have thought this before about your own children, haven't you? You thought, I know how kids can be. I'm praying for them. And it says that Job would even offer sacrifices for them just in case. And it wasn't even in case, it wasn't even in case they sinned, really. His concern, you see it at the end of verse five, what he would say to himself, what he was thinking was, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He, he's, he's not even so worried that they're going to say something out loud or curse God out loud. He's just saying, I, I just hope that their hearts have not even gone astray. Now, we know the heart is important, but you see how concerned Job is and concerned for his children. He wants things to be right, and in fact, Job is righteous. This is the story in the presentation, the first five chapters, or the first five verses of Job chapter one. And then there's a change in setting, change in scenery. Now, suddenly we're in heaven before God, and there's this picture of God as this king or almost as a judge, and the angels are coming before him to get their assignments, to make their reports. It says the angels in verse 6 came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. That may be jarring for you. But remember that Satan had been an angel. That's, that's his... That's his physicality. That was how he was created. Satan was one of the angels who then, after a period of time and before humans were created, Satan turned against God and decided that he would rather try to be God instead of serving the Lord who created him. And so Satan came with the angels and God said to him, where have you come from? Satan checked in. Oh, I've been roaming around the earth, going back and forth in it. The Lord said to Satan, you know my boy Job? 
And I wonder if Job, when he got to heaven, said, God, why did you have to say that? (laughs) Because Job was a righteous man. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And as Satan was roaming around, going back and forth, and God said, well, have you seen Job? That is my man. There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears me and shuns evil. And Satan, because Satan is the accuser, some of you will remember as we studied last week that Satan is looking to tear people down by by suggesting ideas to us that are simply not true and hoping that we take the bait, agree with his lies, and then just get swept away out into the sea of irrelevance. Here Satan says to God, God, and I'm going to paraphrase this, God, Job fears you because you've been good to him. I mean, if you take away all this stuff, I mean, of course, he's a rich guy. He's fat and happy. He's kids. He's got servants and camels. He doesn't have to do anything. His kids are feasting. He's praying just for, you take all that stuff away. I mean, of course, if anybody was rich, they're going to praise you. Of course, if anybody was blessed, they're going to praise you. 10 kids who all love you, sons and daughters, just all serving the Lord. Come on, God. Stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan is almost making a wager with God here. He says, God, I'll bet that if you take all that away, Job's not going to be such a righteous man. And then the Lord doubles down and says something else that, that frankly, I mean, this is, this is odd. This is strange. This is difficult to wrestle with. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, don't lay a finger. In other words, he says, Satan, you can take all that stuff away. God allows Satan to have that power for then, Okay. Satan doesn't have any power that God doesn't allow him to have. It doesn't mean that God causes bad things to happen. Oh, there are some arguments. We'll get to that in about week four of our conversations class. But God says, go ahead, take some of that stuff away, but don't touch Job. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and then we have these four different reporters who come back. One says the oxen and the donkeys, they were plowing, and then the Sabaeans, that's a neighboring, neighboring group of people, they came and they stole them all, and they killed all the servants. I'm the only one who came back. Another servant comes and says, the fire of God fell from the heavens. I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing that Satan was able to conjure with God's permission, but Satan does have angelic power, right? The fire of God fell from the heavens, burned up the sheep and the servants. So I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So the oxen and the donkeys, and there were thousands, thousands of these kinds of creatures. When you add up then all the sheep, and there's these servants who are dying. And then another messenger comes, says the Chaldeans, that's another group. The Sabaeans were enough, but now there's the Chaldeans. They formed raiding parties. They swept down your camels and made off of them. So the donkeys and the oxen and the camels and the sheep, and they're gone. The servants are dying. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And all that stuff, that's a shame to lose your servants and to lose your tools and to lose your equipment. That's a shame, but you know, that stuff can be gotten back, I guess, if you think cheaply of servants. But then the big one in in verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Job, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. It was your oldest brother's birthday. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert, struck the house, it collapsed on them, they're dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Job was not to be touched, but everything could be taken away. And doesn't it sound like everything was taken away? I mean, not his wife. And she's a treasure. We'll find out about her later. (laughs) But he lost his stuff. Okay, you lose stuff. The animals were stolen. Okay, maybe we can go and 
get them back. The servants were killed. That, that's terrible because life is important, but if I need help, I can probably hire more servants. That would have touched his heart, and that would have been, that would have been grief enough. But now your sons and daughters, remember he had seven sons and three daughters, and they're old and grown. They, they probably had some spouses. They might have had some children. And they're gone. Some of you have experienced one or maybe two of the things that Job went through. You've lost a big pile of business. You've lost a whole lot of money. Maybe you had people that worked for you or worked with you and they're no longer there for one reason or another. You know what it's like to experience that, right? That's not fun stuff. That's hard stuff. But I would suggest to you that that stuff all pales in comparison to the reality of losing a child. Some of you have lost children all the way from a miscarriage to a grown child who died. Some of you have lost children and, and you know the grief that walks with you through your whole life. It changes and you deal with it differently as time goes on, but you understand that loss. Some of you who have never had children grieve children you never knew. You know that pain? Job did too. Job lost all of this. And how did it happen? It happened because Satan decided to do it. And Satan was able to do it because God allowed it. I don't like all that. I just don't like all that. I don't want God to be that way. <laughs> I don't want... I'm, I'm afraid that God might treat me that way. Now... I'm fortunate, perhaps, that I'm not the greatest man among all the people of the East or the West or the North or the South. But can you imagine having just all that stuff stripped away? Some of you can't imagine it. It's not good. And yet God allowed for this. And God knew Job and loved Job. But what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, and this is the thought I want to leave you with. There's so many places we can go with this, and we'll explore some of these a little later. But what I want you to notice is Job's response in verses 20, 21, and 22. Because what we've been talking about, if you're here today for the first time in a little while, one of the things that we've been talking about is that we have all kinds of messages as Christians and as people, we have all kinds of messages that are bombarding us constantly. Some of those are from the professional marketers whose job it is to get our attention and to sell us on something. Some of these ideas come from our flesh. We have, even if we're saved, we have, the Bible calls it this fleshly part of us that still has appetites and desires that are not holy and that lead us to places of, of addiction and lead us to places of adultery and lead us to kind of the places of, of just trying to indulge in all of those things that we know we shouldn't have but that sometimes just feel so tempting. We have that message that says, just go get it. And then we have those spiritual messages that come from Satan that, that are kind of those suggestions that very much like he said to Eve, you know, really? Are you sure? Don't you want it? Why don't you take it? And, and it's just that subtle and then outright twisting of God's word and those messages come. And, and listen, that stuff is all around. You know this. You know this. Just try to watch something on a screen without having an ad pop up in five minutes. If you haven't paid for it already, that ad is coming, people. 
Why? Because they want to suggest it to us, and then if we go with it, they get our money. Or if it's a really bad gang, they get more than that. Our responses matter. By the way, keep your eyes open this week. I don't know where this pops up. I was watching the Little League World Series for a little bit yesterday. I just like watching those little guys play ball. It's, it's bizarre how good they are at 10, 11, and 12 years old. But yesterday, in the midst of the Geico, or in the midst of the, the Little League World Series, there was a Geico commercial with a whole family at the airport. I saw it yesterday for the first time. I haven't seen it again, but keep your eyes open, because here's how it goes. It's almost a riff on an old Brian Regan skit. There's a lady at the TSA security stand, and she scans a guy who's obviously a dad because, you know, he's stuck in the blinds and just doesn't know what he's doing. But, but there's dad, and, and he's got his shoes, and he's carrying his belt and his stuff, and, and the lady from TSA says, have a nice trip, and dad just without even, without even thinking says, you too, and he immediately knows it was weird. You've done this, right? The wrong response, you know. Somebody says, hey, drive safe, and you're like, yeah, you too, but you're leaving their house. You know, it's awkward. It's awkward. Well, the rest of the commercial for 20 seconds is the fallout of you have a nice trip too. Because responses matter. And that commercial, very comically, but, but in a way that's pretty smart, shows us that our responses matter. Our responses make a difference. And, and how we respond to the messages coming at us, whether they're just from a, a capitalistic world or, or whether they're from our flesh or whether they're from Satan coming to us, and in fact, even how we respond to the message that God plants in our heart, this message that I love you, you're my child, repent and come to me. How we respond to those messages matters. And so I want to ask you with my last few minutes today, how have you been responding this week? Now, if you're here for the first time today, welcome, and, and you get a pass on this exercise because you didn't have the background that so many of the people sitting around you have had. But I've been telling you about the flesh and about Satan and about temptation and about all the messages that are coming at us. I've been telling you to watch your responses here. I've been telling you to be careful as you're getting ready for school. Think about the messages coming to you and your kids as life is changing over these next couple weeks, as your schedule is changing. So many of you, are you thinking about the messages around you? How have you been responding? I got to practice a lot this week. Spent five hours in the hospital this week. I was at a funeral yesterday. I was at a seventh grade open house on Friday. You want to see crazy. You go to a middle school and watch kids trying to open lockers for the first time. <laughs> Just because of the week, I got to be around a lot of people in a lot of different places. And I got to practice my responses. Because some of the people that I saw, I loved them and I cared for them and, and I could relate right to where they were and it was exciting to be there. And I'll tell you, there were some of the people I was around that drove me crazy and I would have loved to respond in a way that I knew I shouldn't respond. This, this is you too, right? I mean, that's not just me. This is your life too. Church, how have you been responding this week? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Much as this this story of Job is troublesome, and we say, God, what are you doing as you're talking to Satan in heaven? And what is going on with the donkeys and the oxen and the servants, and then the children die? There is all this stuff that happens around us that we would say, whether we're entirely right or not, we would say, well, that wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. I didn't cause that. How many things are happening around you that seem like they're happening to you? 
right? We all live in a world where stuff is going on. Yes, our own sin creates a lot, and we deserve everything we get because none of us is righteous. The Bible says none of us on our own is righteous. Church, we deserve death on our own. But there are these situations that are happening around us. There are these tough things that happen to us. We can't affect some of that. But what we can always affect is our response. And so Job, I'm looking now at Job chapter 1, verse 20. When Job heard this, all of this, the four corners of the house were struck. It collapsed on all of your children and they're dead. When Job heard this, he got up and tore his robe. That may not sound like much to you, but that was a typical, in that time and in that culture, that was a typical response of grief. And he shaved his head. Kind of just, this, this is just, oh. And what did he do next? What's it say? Then he fell to the ground in worship. And what did Job say? Hearing from these four messengers, it would be, it would be to our minds, it would be excusable. He said, God, what are you doing? It would be excusable if, if even if Satan had suggested, if, if Job had just, oh God, I hate you right now. I mean, to say that kind of thing, you could see how, even if that's wrong, you could see how Job might get there. And even if we know that it's wrong, we might say, oh, Job. But look what Job did. Look at his response. Look at his response to the things that he didn't cause, that he doesn't seem to have deserved. The, the things that the things that he was trying, in fact, to prevent. Look what happened. He fell to the ground in worship and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Write that on your mirror this week. Write that on your dashboard. Put that on your phone. Have it at your desk, at your table, at your seat. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I would depart. Let's be honest. I didn't bring any of this in and I can't carry any of it with me. Every good thing comes from God. That's what Job is saying here. Look what he's, the Lord gave all the, my kids, my, my, my oxen, my, my cattle, my donkeys, my servants, my camels, the Lord gave it. And the Lord has taken away. And, and then how does he end that? May the name of the Lord be praised. And in verse 22, it says, in all of this that happened, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Suggesting that if you say, God, you are wrong, God, this was incorrect, God, you are unjust, God, you are unright, that that would have been a sin for Job to do that. But Job didn't do that. Some of the things that happened to me this week didn't go as I wanted, or they didn't happen where I wanted to be, or there were just so many people there, and you know people are crazy. I had to think about my responses in every moment. Because I want to be a son of God. I want to be a person that inspires others to be more like God. Even if they don't know what my name is or what my job is or where I came from or where I'm going. In that moment, I want them to encounter somebody who somehow encourages them to see that, oh, God is God. That's what I want. That's what I want my life to be. I mean, so many of you want the same thing, don't you? Don't you want just somebody to be affected by you in a way that changes their lives and brings them closer to God. 
Say amen. amen. Yes, this is what we want. And yet how many times is our response something that does not bring glory to God, something that does not point to God's goodness, something that maybe gets us either reveling in how bad things are or how great we are. Oh, our responses matter so much. Hey, we don't create. We don't create anything. God is the creator. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Oh, but church, the way that we respond to all the messages and the way that we respond to our circumstances says so much to the people around us about God because they're going to see us and they're going to think something. I locked my keys in my truck this week. <laughs> I hadn't done that for years. Went to a store, went inside to, to pick up my suit because I had a funeral yesterday. And as I was getting... I had to remember my glasses, I, and I don't drive with them because I'm weird. And, and, I had, and I was remembering my phone because that's what my wallet is, and I was getting all that. And I don't usually lock my truck. It has, it's an old Chevy, and so you push this button down, and you push this button down. And, and I, was, I don't usually lock it because who cares? But I was kind of at a, I had some, my briefcase was there, and I had some stuff, and so I locked the door, and I opened the door, and, I'm, and do I have everything? And I locked, and I got out, and I shut it, went inside, picked up my suit, came out, and realized... And I could see it right there, the key's just hanging in the ignition. <laughs> when I was a kid, when I was younger in my cars, I always had to hide a key in the car, like somewhere underneath, because you never know. And, and when I used to carry a regular wallet, I had a, a door, this is back, kids, there used to be this thing, a little metal, it's a key, and you put it in a lock, and you turn it. And there used to be, in the vehicles, the couple first vehicles that I had, you had one for the ignition, and then you had a different one. Usually that one was square. Then there was a round one for the door. And so I always had a door key in my wallet, but I hadn't done that with my truck because I don't ever lock it, and I'm grown now, and I don't need such things. And I found myself holding a suit in a parking lot with fancy people all around me. I love my truck. It's a great little truck, but it was obviously the not nicest one there. And so on top of having the not nicest one, I was the not smartest one. And so I uh, couldn't find any people nearby that had a coat hanger. That was, I mean, the suit coat hanger that I had was one of those heavy plastic ones. From, and I couldn't straighten and, and luckily I had left my driver's door window open that far, and, but I couldn't, uh, it took me an hour to find a coat hanger heavy enough to be able to, and then I'm standing in a parking lot with Cadillacs and BMWs all around me trying to break into a thousand dollar truck. In all the places that I went to ask for some kind of help, I had so many times to practice my responses. I don't know how many times I said to a cashier, I'm not weird, listen, I'm not buying it, but do you have a hanger? Do you have a long broomstick that I can maybe get to the passenger door? <sighs> hey, things happen to us. Things happen to us all the time. I think, and as I read all of these stories in scripture over and over, as I see the example of Jesus and all the ways that we're told to interact with him, I think that, I think that so much, of, so much of who we are is determined and defined by how we respond to the stuff around us. And so church, how are you responding? Maybe you made a mess of it this week. Well, listen, that's why Jesus came. 
Because if you made a mess of it this week, you're not stuck with that. If you made a mess of it this week, just pray to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I'm sorry for the way that I've acted. Would you please forgive me? And you know what? Jesus forgives you. And when you ask him to forgive you, he saves you. This is the salvation that is so dear to so many of us in this room. But I want to talk to you Christians with my closing thought here. You Christians who are saved, who know the power of the Lord, who know the power of your life in the world around you, how have your responses been this week? And I wonder, can you be better this next week? Can you respond better? Can, can you be more patient, more joyful? Can you be more loving and more kind? Can you be more careful in how you deal with the people around you? Can you watch your mouth when things don't go as you planned? Church, we can do this. We can do this because we've got, we've got a Jesus who saved us. We've got a Holy Spirit within us now to make us strong. And we have God in heaven who loves us even though we don't understand him all the time. Even though there are questions to which we do not get answers. We are not alone. And, and we can bring glory to God in the way that we respond to all this stuff. Church, would you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, help us. Lord, help us. Some of us feel right now like we are going through the kind of trials that Job faced. Lord, others of us just feel like we're on a roll. God, help us in all of that and in all of those situations and in all the things that come up this week. Lord, help us to respond in a way that brings glory to you. Help us to respond in a way that, that helps someone say, oh, that was love. Lord, help us. We need you. So would you please help us, show us your way, and give us the courage and strength to follow through with what we know we ought to do. Lord, we love you. We pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Should we sing? Yeah. What do you think? Do yeah. we have one? All right, why don't we stand and sing together, church? Uh, let's sing I'll Fly Away. This is talking about the...